Welcome to the Wedding Wisdom Podcast with Doug Winters. I'm your host, Doug Winters. I am here in Brooklyn on DeVoe Street at a beautiful space called the Lighthouse Studio, waiting for Ira Levy, who owns Levy Lighting, and then opened this up as a a space for events two years ago. And I was here for a party a couple of weeks ago for Preston Bailey's 70th birthday party, and the place literally does not even look familiar. One thing I really wanted to know is the importance of lighting at a wedding, the significance of it. So Ira Levy, yes. tell me about Levy lighting and tell me about lighting in general. Sure. Because a lot of the parties that I do, there's no lighting at all. I mean, it's up to me to set the mood. When I talked to David Beam or Dewan Stroud, you know, they were like, oh no, it's, it's all about the lighting. Sure. <laughs> you mean- know. It's funny they bring that up because when I first started doing this and I had meetings with like maybe a planner and an end client, plan would bring me in and the client would be like, what do you mean light, lighting? Like, don't they have light bulbs here? You know, I got to bring my own light bulbs. So it was, it's very, it was, it was challenging from the beginning to explain to people what light does and that even though uh, a venue or a location has lights, it's not like ambient or Uh, dramatic lighting it was funny i was talking to david beam who said i had a client a bar mitzvah client that was coming in from westchester was going to be in manhattan and the the bill for the lighting you know came through and he came in to see the space and and he says why why am i paying so much for the lighting don't they have lighting here like you just said and he says i literally went over and took the cord out of the wall Mm -hmm. and i said okay this is the lighting this is what the carpeting looks like. This is what the room's going to look like. This is the sexiest it's, it's ever going to look. Right. <laughs> you know, right. so, and then he put it back on. He says, oh, okay, just wanted to know. <laughs> sure, sure. I also, I also, uh, I think it's important that part of lighting is the absence of light. So uh, if you take a space and you just light it up, so to say, or you put a lot of different light in it, the drama comes from the areas where there's no light. So the darks and the right, lights. And the sh- if you want somebody to focus on something, you want to light that thing maybe more dramatically than everything else. So if the whole place is lit up evenly or the same way, then the things that you really want to call attention to don't really oh, right. uh, have so much meaning anymore. Right. There's nothing to. It doesn't pop out. It doesn't because, pop out. It, huh. It's like certain things uh, just really don't need to be focused on, or maybe we'll look even. You know, like. If you're in your house, right, when you dim the lights, all of a sudden the place looks so much more sexy and dramatic. So <laughs> yeah. it's the same idea yeah. uh, with a, a space. Plus you have the ability to change colors and all sure, that. Sure, sure. Uh, it's interesting because I started, well, first I, was, I thought I'd be a good doctor and I went to college. Yeah, let's start from the beginning. All right. So, so I went to Stony Brook University. And my Did you se- grow up in Long Island? I grew up in Brooklyn. Okay. And I went to school out in Long Island. So I went to Stony Brook and my second year, my first year I was taking like pre-med, like all these different types of courses, the basics. And then I went to see a concert in the school gym right. my sophomore year and it was the Pretenders. Oh. I was just, I was captivated. It was all done by students. It was run by students, promoted by yeah, students, yeah, yeah. Yeah. The stu- security, everything like that. So I joined the concert committee the, like the next day and I started getting involved with shows and events. And so I, 
uh, I ran the concerts, I ran a, a nightclub on campus, and I was always involved with the tech side so of things. So bye-bye pre-med? Bye-bye pre-med. I, and I continued in entertainment. After I got out of school, I ended up uh, connecting with a place in the Hamptons, and we, myself and a friend of mine, we became like the promoters of this place. It was in West Hampton. It was right behind this place called Marrakesh. We started like a theme, like when themed places were just starting to come out. So we, we did like a uh, Australian theme, a kangaroo club, and... <laughs> it was right when uh, Crocodile Dundee came oh, out. Oh, right. Okay. And then each year we this changed the theme. This is early 80s? This is early 80s. Yeah. Each year we changed the theme and we went to like a 60s theme and we did a couple other different themes. And right. then uh, I just got involved with clubs and I got involved a lot with uh, ra big rave parties. All of that electronic dance music that is now at the festivals and stuff like that started right. is uh, like rave music. It was like in clubs and then... There was like an underground music scene where people would do parties that were not in typical locations. So they were in warehouses and they were in uh, parks and they'd go from like midnight to like 6 a.m. Almost like, like a after hours club. After hours, but it was, it was all warehouse. It was, all, it was mostly young kids, but really big sound systems and DJs. But this was before social media too. So when, when, when you did an uh, a rave party, you never gave out the location of the event until the day of the event because they weren't legal. Oh, so wow. we would go to places and we would tell them we were doing documentaries on dance culture. <laughs> and uh, we would have people videotaping and stuff like that. Or, and we would throw these parties and then we would pay to rent the space and then we'd bring in sound, lights, wow. uh, visuals, all that stuff that you see that's, uh, you know, the lasers and all that stuff. Yeah, that makes it look like a club. Yeah, so we would bring that in and then uh, we would have to have a phone number where people would call and they would get the address and the location and they would show up that night to the party. Oh, that made it feel special because... Not only was it special, but it was the only way to do it because it was, you really couldn't do it. It wasn't legal to just start making a party somewhere. But it was the whole eastern seaboard, like kids from all over, from Washington, from Pennsylvania. From, they would come up, you know, to this party, and then next week they would go to this party down there. And just the way people go to festivals, it yeah. started with these parties. Right. And I started, I really got into the lighting portion of it, and I started working for, I was working in a nightclub, and one of the companies that had a lot of these moving lights that change color and stuff, I was like, you guys really have a great, product but I don't think it's really well known they were an Italian based mm -hmm. company and I started working with them and I started it, uh, I started working on Cirque du Soleil and all these different big oh no uh, kidding yeah I worked on a lot of big uh, specifications like in Las Vegas and uh, so I started more like an, in an architainment thing which is like sort of architectural lighting with an entertainment flair to I'm it. just going to ask you what is architect architainment <laughs> yeah so like when you you know when you see a, a large atrium or a, in a building and they have like some lights moving and things like that it's like these are all like event and architectural and rock and roll type lights but they're being used in an architectural environment right so like in in arenas and stadiums and things like that so my aesthetic came from there where i i felt like everything needed to you needed to have the drama of the light but I, f I felt like seeing the lights and the fixtures and the cabling and the truss and all that kind of stuff ruins the whole uh, experience. Yeah, yeah. So everything I do is very streamlined and integrated. And so I started doing that work and I was working on arenas and, and sports, like when, what, like when Chicago Bulls started their first, when they started doing the light shows in the beginning of the You know, nobody things. remembers that. The whole thing of announcing the team, yeah. the blasting music, that started with Jordan's Bulls. Yeah, yeah. 
I worked for this company for a while and I decided that I wanted to start my own company. Mm -hmm. And I started with fashion and I, I did a lot of work for Donna Karen in her home and on fashion shows and, and uh, like what would you do at, at her home? So lighting -wise? I was like, a, my niche was that I was very much on the latest technology and uh, there, there was nothing that was cons I considered out of the box. So she actually wanted a projection of water in her house. And um, she was in a building where she couldn't actually have like actual a waterfall. water. Yeah. So I made this projection. She had the money for, for it, but she didn't. Yeah, have she just, you know, <laughs> you know, New York City. So uh, we made this water projection for her. Right. And so I started doing fashion, and fashion was a very good way to. Oh, sorry. Go back to this waterfall in her house. I love that. So she. <laughs> this is apartment to, in the city. This is apartment in the city. This was. She likes to meditate, and she wanted something. Okay. Yeah. That sure. Was calming and soothing, and and there was no, there was nothing that could fit the bill that was like sort of like off the shelf. And right. I got, someone called me, actually I, I did the first time I did the water projection was for Calvin Klein. I did a, uh, he did a swimsuit advertisement and he had pictures of models sitting around a, a, a sort of pool in his studio, but it was just my water projection. So I started with fashion and then I started to do. Oh, so you became new art. So you worked with like Calvin Klein, and then Calvin with Donna Klein, Karen. Calvin Klein, Donna so, Karen, different groups like that. Would you do like their show, their runway I shows? a lot of like fashion presentations. And the fashion crowd, they don't want to see anything, you know? No lights, no cables, They no want it to be perfect. Perfect. Yeah. So it was good. It was a good field for me to start in because uh, that really kind of pioneered my style, which I, I pioneered in, in events in general. So, and I was doing a lot of corporate projects, and then I met Preston Bailey, and I showed him my book and my work, and he's like, oh my God, I never saw anything like this. And, wow. And uh, we just connected on a, on a chemical level and in a business way and in a creative way. And my first project for him was to make pink water. So he had a, a client that wanted to get married with like a, this beautiful water uh, reflection on their, uh, in their ceremony, but he wanted it to be pink. I did that for him. That was at the Waldorf a long time ago, and then. So this is just the wall of the Waldorf, or, or in was, the middle of nowhere. This was and yeah. You like, would put up a scrim and make it look. So he, you know, he he designed like these uh, these like backdrop uh, that had flowers and these these he used to do these these screens that were very ornate, and so I created this water projection so it looked like the water was ref like they were in front of a pool or something and the water was reflecting on the on these backdrops. So you used the lights as a projection and then you'd also use them as uh, for ambience as to, well. For ambience, yeah, to make the sparkling effect. Yeah, so I started to do a lot of these projects and my style was uh, very, very clean. So I didn't... Uh, Which is what you learned from... Yeah, from fashion, from, from fashion. architecture. Yeah, yeah. I felt like most of the projects I was seeing, it felt like you were... You had this beautiful finished environment below, and up top was like a big rock and roll rig, you yeah, know? Right. The easiest way to fill a room with lights is just to put two trusses up, put a bunch of lights on it, pull the whole thing up, and I like to install to a space. So I, I kind of designed different methods of hanging things and using more streamlined cabling systems and things, and, and so I, I put a lot of design into my work. So I try to stay on the cutting edge or develop my own styles and designs. Because I, I would imagine that your industry, sort of like, like the way musical instruments, mm -hmm. I mean, when I started, I had a Fender Rhodes. It took two of us to carry it. 
you know, to my car. Now I have this state-of-the-art keyboard. It's eight pounds. Right. So I would imagine that everything that you do, I mean, keeps changing yes. all the time, radically. It's changing. Uh, it's changing from a technology standpoint of view, just like the way phones are lighter and faster and can do more. So uh, with all the LED light now, um, you have the advent of everything pulls less power. So you know, you used to go into a, a venue and, oh, that's right. and the lighting company. I need six twenty amps for this, and I need. Oh, because you be using like theatrical lighting. Yeah, now you can take like ten lights and plug them together off of one single cable. Oh wow! And then a lot of it is, it, we, I kind of started long ago with wireless lighting, so battery powered lighting. Oh, so you can do it you off of an it iPad. Just lay on the floor. Yeah, lay it on the floor. You don't need cables. You 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 charge the, the lights up in your studio, and then you take them to this space, and they they run for six or eight hours. There's no cable at all, so people. Oh, cool. Yeah, but, people love that. So we. Yeah. Uh, you could just. Go in and talk about clean. Yeah, talk about clean <laughs> and labor and time and everything else. So it's changed a lot. In fact, that it's actually become a lot easier for other people for competition and things like that because now you don't have to be a, a genius to hook up these lights. And but that used to be like a moving light was a big deal and you know intelligent lighting and all the cables and all that I stuff. I remember now when it's intelligent like very, lighting. Now it's very common. What was intelligent? I I would hear that. All yeah. the time. That was the catchphrase. That was the big catchphrase for selling yeah. a, a Yeah, if you wanted job. to upsell, yeah. you'd say it's intelligent lighting. Yeah. What does that actually mean? So intelligent lighting is all of this light that, you, you know, people are listening on the radio don't see now, but it's all the lights that move and change colors. So you're able to, they're automated, so you're able to control them from a console. So basically when you first, before you had intelligent lighting, you had like, a, okay, a stage light. Stage lighting was basically on off, right? You had a you had a light and it either dimmed up or dimmed down. And if you wanted to change the color, you put a gel like in a Broadway it. show, like in a Broadway show. So then what happened was is they started to develop lighting that actually can move. So you can take one light and use it for like five or ten different things now, right? Instead of if you had like five positions on a stage, you needed to have five lights. Yeah. Now you take one light and you would just move it with an external console with a uh, like sort of like a soundboard but a light board and that light was able to change colors and it was able to project patterns and do all these different things and the lights are still they were like five seven eight thousand dollars each one so the upsell was because it was really expensive and but that added the energy in the room you, you know well, it was expensive moving. to get it was expensive for you. to get and there weren't that many people who knew how to how to do it how to run it now right um, you know, the lights are, everything's made in China and, and there's a million people that know how to do it. And then you have a DJ who's doing lighting, the band does lighting, this one, that one. Uh, you always have to kind of reinvent yourself. That's kind of like why I went from Levy Lighting to Levy NYC. I kind of now concentrate on the overall ambience and environment of a space. So it's not just the light, it's the light, the sound, the video, the projection. All the intangibles. I concentrate on the intangible. Which makes total sense, which goes back to your freshman year at Stony yeah. Brook. <laughs> yeah, right? And why you joined the yeah, concert well, committee. Exactly. So, uh, and, and, and I, I enjoy working with, this with new technologies, but I like to use it in a very tasteful way. So it's kind of like, it's not like uh, Spinal Tap, you know, everything's on 11 and everything's just really <laughs> bright and, and it goes really loud and things like that. So, so uh, do you deal with uh, sound as well? Yeah. So sound, uh, I started getting involved with sound for two reasons. One was that my team, we would spend a lot of time making a very beautiful, clean environment. And then like a sound company would come in like two hours before the event 
with tripod stands, orange extension cords, running cables all over the place. And I'm like, this, this is no good. You know, we just spent all this time making this place beautiful. And then also just the trend in the industry went towards people wanted more of like a one-stop Also, if you were using uh, these incredible, beautiful, you know, expensive lighting and like a DJ or a band came in and was using cheap lighting, it would be very obvious. Yeah. And so that was with with sound as well. So, but also what happens is like we were doing a lot of projects in venues where people really didn't want to have one company for light, one company for sound, one company for video, you know, it was like... Uh, three points of failure. You had <laughs> um, you had the problem of also the, the certificate of insurance. Every company needed to have their own and CO COI. Yep. And then trucking was a big part of it because if you have three companies delivering, you have three trucking costs. Whereas maybe the, the whole load can come in on one truck and the cost associated with that. So we started to provide a full service production, and, and then my my biggest concentration over the years has been in projection and projection mapping. Would you explain that to me? Because um, Vicky Dubin mm-hmm. was trying to just tell me about um, video mapping. Yeah. You just use a similar term. Projection mapping. Projection mapping. Okay. Yeah. Could you- so what happens is, is that today with the advent of projectors and softwares, you can basically take any surface and you can project onto it and you can make the projection look perfect. Like, remember before when somebody had to project something, you always had to have the projector like straight on the wall and had to be like perfectly straight and had to be a perfect rectangle and you know, you couldn't deviate from that. So now what we're able to do is we're able to take multiple projectors and seam them together to make one large immersive image. So I concentrate on projected decor, sort of say. So it's like sort of very, eco-friendly, obviously, because we're able to, we're not putting anything up, we're just projecting images to create a, a backdrop on a space. And we're using this technology of mapping. So like, like when you see these buildings that on the outside of building, you see projection and it looks like exactly the shape of the building. And then the building looks like it's crumbling yeah, and all this yeah, type yeah, of stuff. Yeah, yeah. So that's projection mapping. It's been, it's been used in other terms of just pixel mapping because you also now you have like LED screens everywhere and those are controlled by pixels. So people sometimes call pixel mapping and projection mapping, they get those things. Is this hard to explain to clients? I, you I'm you very visual, you know, <laughs> I, I, I have a, a great database of images and, and like you can see here in my studio that you're in a projected uh, environment right now. Right, so which we, I love is that it's a completely raw space yeah. and you have, I mean, this is like, we might as well be on a, on a movie set. Yeah, because we have the, you know, the Champs-Élysées right behind you being projected. I didn't even notice yeah. it. Yeah, so the Arc de Triomphe. And so I create different projections and different environments through light. So uh, intense, we, uh, I did a garden party and it was all like hydrangeas projected. And um, it just becomes like a, a, a completely different element that people are really not used to seeing. So if you're doing a floral thing, you could literally change from hydrangeas to this sure, to that, sure. that, so it becomes really immersive and almost like subliminal. It's like you feel like you're in a garden. Yeah, we recently did a project where we did like an Orient Express theme, mm-hmm. and the people were, the, all the walls around you were projected, and you felt like you were inside the car, uh, train car. Oh, wow. And then as each 
portion of the meal changed, we changed the scenery and the backdrop so that you were, you know, first you saw like mountains and then you started to see uh, snow and you started to see different things. So each time the meal changed, we, we changed the scenery completely. Wow. And so I've done that for a number of projects where we've taken people to different parts of the world, Rio to, to India, to different places through projection. So you design this all. So someone explains to you what they want. Mm -hmm. You design it here, in-house. In-house, yes. And then, so you, pre, you program it? And then you go yes, to the so, show. So, so you do a certain amount of programming, but you also have to do a lot of calculations ahead of time because uh, obviously you know there's the tight time schedule of setup and breakdown, and we're not the only people in the space. And so we take the, we bring projectors onto onto the site. We bring special certain lenses to to get the size of the projections correctly. Right. And then we bring a team in that that maps the surfaces. So. If it's a straight wall, a curved wall, like we, we do projection mapping onto cakes. Oh, so when you say mapping, you literally mean mapping. Yeah, yeah. You, you, okay. put, a, you put a grid up on the wall and you, you, you trace it so that uh, normally you're, what, what the projector might see as, a, uh, as an angle line, you're telling the projector, no, now the line has to be straight here. And you make this grid and then the projector follows this grid pattern. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's pretty technical. So we do that on cakes. So we do projection mapping onto cakes. We just did one where, you know, the, the bride and groom had some I just, photos. I, I just interviewed Ron Ben Israel. Was the, yeah, so I did that for him about three or four years ago in his studio right. for one of his uh, parties. And we just did one for a client now where they had pictures of them like getting engaged and they wanted it projected onto the cake. Oh, onto this huge cake. Onto the cake, yeah. Oh, wow. So, so it was like, like a, a white cake? Or? White cake and even like the... You know, all those like little floral bells and whistles that yeah, yeah, the yeah, sure. uh, cake people make? We, yeah. we projected those. So they would, they would like sort of, you know, had that like pixie dust kind of feel. You know, everything was glittery and, and glowing. That is so yeah. cool. So there's kind of no limit to what you can no do. No limit, no. You know, you bring up our studio and I decided that instead of bringing the production to the event, to bring the event to the production. So we, we open now this space to do events because... It takes us so long to get everything up and working in, a, in a, an event space that the hardest part about really doing an amazing event is the tech time to really make it work well and look good. Right. You, know, you, have, you get everything up and everything's finally working and talking to each other and you don't have that much time to program it and really make it amazing. Right. So when we doing events here, everything's in, in, already in place. So now people just have to talk about their vision and not worry about how it's going to happen because we, we can just concentrate on the actual vision itself. It's funny, when I first came in here, because the only time I've been here uh, was for Preston's party. Yeah. yeah. It was a 70s party. You know, it was all things on the wall. And you, you, I'm, I'll it show was great, it yeah. Um, and, and then when I came in now, I was like, holy cow, this is like a raw studio. Yeah. I took some pictures before. This is... I don't know. How many square feet are in the, the whole place? We're in about like 7,000 square feet. 7,000, yeah. Yeah. And there's more equipment you could light Yankee Stadium. Yeah, yeah. And so the, uh, the whole other side is... is yeah, equipment. that's where I went. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so when you did the space, I literally said, okay, I remember the bathroom was sort of over there and down that way. And Stefano says, no, he's, it's right there. It's like, oh, okay. I was yeah. completely turned around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is like really, I think, my next phase of sort of like entertaining uh, 
you know, letting people just give me their visions and taking it from there. So I'm excited about the studio opening and, and doing events here. And, and Okay, uh, so where are we? We're in... We're in East Williamsburg. East Williamsburg. Yeah. Which is like... It's probably less time to go from like the Lower East Side to the Upper West Side. People, you know, there's just the whole stigma of kind of crossing the water. <laughs> you know? Going to Bro- Brooklyn now is yeah. not what, you know. No, I, 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 it took me so long to wrap my head around leaving the city. I had my office on 36th Street. Because you were born in Brooklyn. Yeah. It's funny. I, Brooklyn was a place to be from. Right. <laughs> you know, my mother was from East New York and... You know, when she had enough money, she moved to Long, you know. Yeah. Moved to Long yeah, my Island. father grew up in East New York. But, but the thing is, is like what happened for me was that from a logistics standpoint of view, it was very hard to stay in the city because we have trucks and equipment and we needed to have ground floor access. And right. Oh, I think it was David who said his, his warehouse is in the Bronx. Yeah. 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 So then and then I felt like, you know, my brand is a very progressive brand. So. Right. If I'm going to be somewhere, I'm going to be somewhere where it's really happening. I mean, you can't walk down Manhattan and see something that you never saw before. Anymore. Right. You right. know, it's all, it's all That's why it's big Manhattan. stores. You yeah. know, it's Sarah, it's this, it's that. Whereas, you know, you used to walk around the East Village or, or Soho or whatever, and you'd come into this little store and you'd see something like you never saw before. And, you know, you can use that as inspiration for work and art and stuff, but now it's not possible. Right. I mean, it's probably there, but not that much. Right. Whereas here, people are still, you know, anywhere where you have artists, you're always having the latest, um, you know, it's always the next real estate boom and the most interesting stuff. Oh, sure. So this area is full of that. Yeah, and Brooklyn has become just insane. Yeah, look at Bushwick. It's It's funny, my son is graduating from law school and he lives like in in Greenpoint. Mm -hmm. My only relation to Greenpoint is on the waterfront. Lee J. Cobb screams right. to Brando. He says, you come from Greenpoint, go back to Greenpoint. Uh-huh. It's a green parent. <laughs> and that's what I knew about Greenpoint. And all of a sudden, like, kids living there. Is, yeah. And it's perfectly safe. And he walked to the subway and take two stops to... To Manhattan. And to you get Manhattan. the view. You get yeah. everything. So the idea would be to have this... I mean, it's a great... Especially, you know, if, especially corporate parties. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you work in the city, you live in the city... You want to get out of the city. Right. And also a lot of the people that live in the city live in Brooklyn or Queens. 100%. Which is right, right here. Yeah. Um, so this is really a brilliant idea. This is a perfect location. Yeah, I think it's, it's also, I mean, the, the concept of an immersive space. So for anybody who hasn't been here, it's, a, it's a, a, a photo studio with all the walls are projected onto and as well as the floor. So it's completely immersive. And so like for a corporate presentation, uh, you have the ability to create like something like a PowerPoint on steroids. You know, you can like really, you know, bring somebody into what there's you're trying There's nothing you can't do. Yeah, there's nothing you can't do. Right, because it's literally a raw space with walls or scrims that can be yeah, any color you want. They're yeah. just white with light all around. Light and, and video projection, that's the key. Yeah. You know, the mapping. So does it, would it become less expensive for someone? Much less expensive. I mean, we, we rent the space with the equipment for less than it costs for us to go somewhere and do even half of this. Oh, you're kidding. No. With just the lights? Yeah. Yeah, because it's all here already. The biggest, your biggest, honestly, your biggest uh, cost in, in almost everything is labor. 
Right. People right. don't realize that too. Set up. I mean, how down. many people does it take yeah. to carry all the stuff and the size of the? I saw your truck. Yeah, and you have to. Don't forget, you have to prep that stuff. It's got to get there in an organized fashion. So you right. it's taking three, four days ahead of time to prep it. Then you have to get it there. You have to unload it, set it up, break it down, blah, blah, blah. And so. and some places are just like... Very hard, very hard to work. It was funny. I was interviewing Bill Spinner. And I said, I don't know if you're aware of this, but this place has the worst load in. It's yeah. one of my favorite places ever to play. But my, my other favorite place to play is the Rainbow Room, mm -hmm. which has even got a worse load right. in. Um, because they weren't made for load-ins. They no. were made to be glamorous. Yeah. Yeah, you have places that you have to take one elevator down. Yeah, you have to. Across the kitchen, take another elevator up. That's the Pierre. Wait for this, wait for that. And if the florist is there at the same time, yeah. or if the lighting guys, are, yeah. or if the sound guys. Are, yeah. That's why it's cool if you do everything. I think that the, the, there's a shift, first of all, in the what's important to people. Um, not everybody. There's, there's always going to be... People want very uh, traditional type of uh, weddings and, and events with lots of flowers and tablecloths and stuff like that. But I think there's a, also a group that's really like, you know, those are now incidentals. You know, I, I really want the, the big, the big brushstrokes, mm -hmm. you know, which is the, the color, the drama, the projection, that kind of stuff. Right. That's right. That's yeah. A, that's what I would think. Would be, yeah. You know, the cool thing. And then so... You hire like a furniture company to bring it, or they they hire a furniture company to bring it. So in? I mean, we decor company. Uh, we work with different people in different ways. Like there's a lot. There are a lot of uh, planners that like to plan the decor. So they like to take care of the the tables and the the food and stuff like that. And they want somebody like us to take care of the more just like the overall ambiance of the place. Right. And. I've even done projects where we've had centerpieces that were based upon light as opposed to florals. Wow. Yeah. But, uh, the, you know, we still have a, a bread and butter of our company, too, which is the production and integration with, of, uh, you know, light in a very, very clean, uh, tasteful way yeah. that is uh, really core to our business. You ever go back to concerts? Do you ever ever think of going back to um, Ron Dilsner? Well, <laughs> like it's it's funny because a couple of years ago I did a project in the Bronx uh, for a uh, developer that was taking over this one area of the Bronx they call the Piano District, and it's right by like the Third Avenue Bridge. Oh, okay. And it was in a completely raw warehouse space. The place, like you know, the ceilings were practically falling in, and you know it was. <laughs> amazing you know old like manufacturing space and it was like what i did you know 20 years ago illegally which was to <laughs> Make put a rave rave party okay so you know I, I brought in all the lights the sound even it was funny that even some of the djs that i had worked with then were hired for this job and uh so those type of things that have to do with like big big crowds and stuff like that i i do miss but i also i was able to fulfill a little bit of that because i put this thing called together the new york festival of light like in, in Europe, you have these festivals of light that go on for like a week or so, and they're all sponsored and art. It's an art lighting um, festival. So we did a festival of light in Dumbo in Brooklyn. We got lighting designers and artists from all over United States and the world. Oh wow! To come here and we did the projection mapping on the Bro on the on the Manhattan Bridge. We had about like uh, seven or eight artists, and each one had a piece that went on the bridge, and they that. Uh, was their interpretation of how they wanted to map the bridge. And so we had 
artists that did light sculptures, we had artists that did laser lighting, uh, and we, we basically put the whole thing together, worked with different groups to get some sponsorship here and there, borrow mm -hmm. from Peter, PayPaul. Sure. Uh, we brought a lot of equipment from our team and a lot of people from my company helped out. And it was a huge success. So we, we thought we would do like, I don't know, maybe five or 6,000 people on the first night and a little bit more on the second. So it's sort of like a concert, literally, oh, a festival of light. Festival of light. I mean, there was a DJ there, but that wasn't, none of that was the main mm -hmm. uh, thing, the, the audio. And so I get there on, Thursday was like pretty crowded. Friday night I'm coming there and I'm getting off the train and there's like tons of people everywhere, police, everything. And I'm like, you think this is for the festival? And sure enough, the place is packed. And wow. people from everywhere. And then Saturday night. It's like how many people is it? Saturday night we had 30,000 people came there. Oh my, and you were expecting five? Five, 10, 15. They ended up, we had to close early because there was so many people at the uh, festival. Wow. And uh, it was, you know, if you look at it online, New York, New York Festival Light or NYFOL, Oh, oh, great. Uh, you'll see like yeah. all kinds of videos and images. And, and so it, be, it went viral, basically. Wow. And, uh, but the hard thing about doing events in New York is that um, the city is, charges, a lot of, charges a lot for things. Yeah. You know? It's not like in other parts of the world where the cities are helping you and giving you sponsorship or, or helping you out here. You have to pay for everything. Is that where all the movies take place in? You know, Vancouver becomes yeah, every city. I America. mean, the city's pretty lenient on the movies and stuff, but for, for anything like that ha might have any kind of sponsorship, they're, they're very strict, you know, so it, it, was, it was challenging. So uh, it was a great accomplishment. Uh, and uh, I think that's what a lot of people don't realize, that there are licenses, there are unions, there's all permits. kinds of regula regulations you have to deal with. But also what, the, what happens is that when you're, when you're meeting with a sponsor and you're saying, hey, what, they're like, what can I get out of this, right? And and they're asking, well, what does it cost for me to do this? And then you have to go to the city and get approval for banner sizes and projections of logos and things like that. Oh, so really? the city gives you a price based upon what they think is the right Sucks. price to charge Mercedes to put their car here or something like that. So okay. you really can't explain to the, the uh, person that you're asking to uh, contribute to this project how much it's going to cost them because you first have to go to the city to get their assessment on what they want this to cost. And then you have to come back to the sponsor. Preston told me that he came to the United States and didn't do anything. He opened, he opened up a, uh, a place in the village selling French jeans. By the time he was 29, he had lost every penny he had. Yeah. And a friend of his, you know, it was a designer. And he said, you know, I'm working with this client. They need fresh flowers all the time. Do you think you could do that? He says, oh, sure. So he literally told me, I was charging them three hundred dollars and spending two ninety on flowers. Right. So I made you know ten bucks a week, uh, couch surfing. Yes. Then he did Joan Rivers' daughter's wedding, and from then he, Oprah, and then Martha Stewart. Yep. He became a made man. Sure. But he he possesses two things that make him special too. Is like. Yeah. Intense creativity, but he has a very special personality. He does. There's a warmth. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, so, just, like, it, that same story would not have happened for a lot of other people. You know, he, no. his personality and his, uh, his way of doing things. Uh, and he was really laughing about it. But seriously, when you're 29 years old living in the city and all of a sudden your store goes belly up, mm -hmm. 
it's heartbreaking. You're sure. like, you, he might have sat home no, and, I, I you know, remember times and wept for three weeks. You know, I, w I was eating spaghetti for weeks, you know, because, yeah. uh, you know, for 69 cents, you have a meal. Ramen noodles. Right. Thing that's I think that we all have the same is that we decide we went into something to keep us alive that we happen to like right. what we do. You right. Know? And then we've all had to figure out this other part of it, which is business. Right. Like, you know, how do you. Right. Uh, you know, we're not privy to figuring out, you know, cash flows, profits and loss and all that type of stuff. We've only been on that trip for maybe the last 10 or 15 years. But like when you first start your company, you're like, okay, you know, exactly. You, you spend yeah. 290, you, you're charging 300. Okay, we made something. Okay, here. we made 10 bucks. And then, you know, you, you it just starts to happen and you're not really figuring out all of this stuff. Whereas now I think a, a younger person uh, already comes at a, has a big advantage that you know the the world talks about business first you know everything is business first yeah right whether you right. think you want to be Mark Zuckerberg or Steve Jobs or whatever it is you've got this business thing in your head and and as an artist or a creative uh, you first think about the the art of it or the creative or how good it looks and stuff like that whereas I think a lot of people now right approach it, uh, it from the other side first but i mean we're still in a very small business like a good year for us is a bad day for ibm we have to we have to study and understand the the, the concepts of business but we can only apply it in in a you know a business that's very small so i mean if if all of us who you are talking about and interviewed the amount of hours and how hard we work if we worked in a in a field that was really a very cash intensive business everybody would be in a completely different level from a you know from a financial state standpoint of view but he's scared to work everybody's working well that's 18, another 20 thing. hours at, that's know. another thing is that no one no one in this business is afraid of hard work no and if it's expensive it, you could justify it to clients by all right it's, this is going to take x number of men x mm -hmm. number of uh, women x number of hours designing and and then it, it totally makes sense yeah talk to me about weddings just in terms of like I mean, I totally understand the festivals and those mm -hmm. gigantic, you know, the lighting Coachella or something like right. that. But let's let's say you've got an evening wedding mm -hmm. at the Pierre. Usually, we're involved with uh, some of the early meetings of uh, with the, maybe the planner and the the florist or decorator to discuss what's the overall feel. You know, this client they really want something very natural and a lot of greens, and you know, they don't want high table pieces. They want a very low and and you know simple tablecloths of canvas or whatnot or somebody's like you know they want it to be very uh very large and they want it to be very saturated colors and stuff like that so we have those meetings first and we discuss what's the overall feeling now there's been much more of a people want it more natural you know the lighting to be more like candlelight very soft very pleasing. i was going to ask you about that when, when when someone says i want it to be very sort of moody sensual, you know, mm -hmm. a lot of candles. Yeah. Does that affect the lighting, your part of it? It does. I mean, I try to explain to people, it's, it's, it's not just the turning of the screw, it's knowing which screw to turn. So anybody can fill a room with lights and, and do things like that, but setting the light levels is such an important part of creating that mood. You know, like if it's just a little bit too bright or a little bit too dark, it changes everything. Yeah. So just creating this dimension and deciding I want the the accent lighting on the 
the florals to be a little bit brighter than the perimeter lighting in the room, or I want the stage to be a little bit more like this or, or like that. That's where the, the really art and the beauty of it comes. Basically, we approach it from two ways. One is like sort of the technical side of it, of getting the equipment installed, being on time, on schedule, neat, clean, and stuff like that. And then it's the really tuning of it, which is, is really a big, big part of it. And that's the artistic that you have to do on the yeah. fly because you don't yeah. know what's going to happen. Yeah, because you, even, even that part where like you're in the middle of dinner and all of a sudden it gets like a little bit darker or a little bit moodier can change everything. That actually makes it easier on the band. Yes, <laughs> for right. sure. But music is still, I think, maybe the most or one of the most important elements because a good, good music is a good party. And I always say is if you have great music and top shelf booze and ice. Right. <laughs> I'm, always, I'm always, I'm the same way. Like, you know, people are stressed. As soon as the drinks start going, everybody's fine. People yeah. come in, oh, it's to this, to that. You know, the, the planner's nervous. This one's nervous. That one's nervous. Yeah, have as a soon drink. As, as soon as the client has a few drinks and everybody's having a good time, it, that stuff is all gone. Right. If someone says, all right, I'm hiring ex-florist mm -hmm. or I'm hiring, do you light certain things because of that? I mean, like if they're saying, okay, we're spending a ton on the flowers. We want the lighting on the flowers to be perfect. That's where it all starts. When I f was first meeting with people and trying to explain to them why they need lighting, I was like, because you're, you're one of the reasons you're spending so much on this, these elements and then you're not lighting them, be, not getting a chance for people to really see them. So lighting the elements are, is, is paramount. All right, being a band leader, let's mm -hmm. say a 12 piece band, you're not, Obviously, lighting each one of us. I mean, no, so I, 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 I use light in layers, okay? So... I mean, to avoid things like shadows? And shadows and to create depth and drama. First stage, I always have one layer that's just a, a, a good wash, okay? So no matter what's going on, uh, you know, with, with moving lights and different things like that, there's always just a, a, a nice, even wash of light on the stage so that you can see the people that are uh, there, you know, just something very warm. And, and then I like to use a layer of light behind the band, sort of uplighting whatever is the, the treatment behind the band, because that gives another sort of depth to the space. Do, I also do stuff with projections or screens behind the band, and, and that would, I would say, be more, a little bit more of a modern feel, but I, I still would just even use a saturated color of light behind the band coming from the floor just to give it some depth. I mean, I hate the word vendors because mm -hmm. it always made me think of hot dog mm -hmm. you know, guys, but we're all vendors. Yeah. Okay. So everybody's got a camera. Everybody knows a little bit about photographer. They think they do. They know a little bit about, everybody thinks they know everything about food now right. and wine, right. music. Lighting is very esoteric. It's very... Well, for, yeah, for me, that's why I say I, I deal with the intangible, right? Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, it's a mystery, right? The, Even the, flowers, you can say, okay, you need this many. Well, you can touch them, you can feel them, you yeah, can, you can exactly. understand that. But, you know, the light starts in the ceiling and the beam ends up on the table and there's nothing in between, right? So, like... Oh, so you, you know, have to know... For me, even, I can use the same lights in the same way and it will react different, different times. It's a very, very, like mysterious and sort of it's a it's a it's a not a con really consistent medium to, yeah that's what i mean it's you very... have to think about a lot of fail safes and stuff like that so like 
you know, you, you're lighting somebody in a tent and you've lit them, you know, you, you've lit the tent a thousand times the same way and stuff like that, but you can just go one time and it's just completely different. Well, that's why I like what you said about, you know, the very basic thing is you want to have a wash mm -hmm. behind, you know, the Yeah, form the has to follow so function, that, you know. I mean, yeah. the first is your, you have a, a, a stage and you have a band and they need to be lit well. And right. then you can start doing tricks and, and different things like that. Right. Oh, oh, I have one question. Sure. Do you have a, like with photographers, right? do you have to talk to the photographers and say, are you bringing in lights and what kind of lighting do you need? Or I'm going to be having this type of light. I mean, do you work? Some photographers get in touch with us ahead of time and they, they'll ask a little bit about the light or they'll ask for some power to plug in some, some things because they, they, they know the type of shots they want to get. Right. Um, unfortunately now a lot of, Photographers kill the ambience. That's uh, that was they another walk question. Around That's what I was saying. The, if they bring with in the a, camera with the light on, some it, ugly and I'm like, way, hey, you know, you know, come on, man, this is a party, you know. Like, yeah, uh, we were even at Preston's party. You know, there was a guy walking around with the thing, and I was like, you know, we got to take that off because we're we're here to enjoy. We don't want to feel like we're in you know in a stadium right now. Yeah, you know, it's a mood. Yeah, so I, I do work. Uh, certain photographers really have uh, done projects where photographers. Um, like Terry Gruber is, mm -hmm. he does this thing with this, you know, when he's old fashioned large format cameras mm -hmm. and he has to open it up for a certain amount of time and we have to have the light a certain level. Oh, really? Level. Old yeah, yeah. Camera. Like uh, from, we did some projects at the Museum of Natural History like that. Oh, and, wow. Um, so the, on those types of projects, we advance it in, in advance and we figure out what they need and, and how it should be lit. I think, but I think the important part is to still keep it in perspective that it is a party. You know, people at the end of the day want to have a good time, and and I think that you know helping the client understand that you know we know you want to get it perfect, but you know more important than getting perfect is that you're you're having a good time. Right. Because what's the point of having it perfect if you're not having a good time? The one thing I've always said to clients is that. It's the most expensive party you'll ever throw, mm -hmm. but it's still a party. Right. When it's your party, it goes by so fast. Yeah. It's like oh, my God. It's like a blur. You know, for a client to realize that you want to get it as perfect as possible, but at the end of the day, it's still a party and you should enjoy it. I think that right. uh, that the, our industry from the planning and design side should also concentrate a little bit more on it. Become very focused on the stress coming from the client. And so the stress comes into the projects, whereas, uh, you know, everybody's there for the same thing is to, to make a good project and make it look good, but also to, to kind of enjoy the, enjoy the ride. You know what I'm saying? And uh, like uh, Jim Morrison said, this is the best part of the trip. This is the trip. <laughs> yeah. So. Well, that's a perfect yeah. note to end on. Yeah. Uh, I really be. Thank you so yes, much. My All right. So, so how do people everybody knows me as Levy Lighting, but I, I've morphed into Levy NYC, so it's levynyc.net. Okay, and the building is light is Lighthouse Studio with a with a L Y. Yeah, L Y T E House Studio. Right. And so this this facility is available for photo shoots as well as for events. So can you go back and tell your friends in the in the fashion industry that that you have yeah. this? Yeah, we we've had a fair amount of shoots. Put the we word had, out. We had a shoot uh, last week at Penelope Cruz for some uh, uh, jewelry. We've had uh, hey, Susan do me a Sarandon favor. here. Next time you have Penelope Cruz, can you call me? Yeah. So I can... 
I was staying, you know, I'm not even allowed in here. They, they had such security there. It was crazy. Oh, I can imagine. Yeah. I can imagine. Yeah. Well, Doug, thank you so much. You bet, Ira. It. Thank you so much. Just for historical accuracy, I had to come back on to let you know that that was a direct quote from Jim Morrison on a song called The Soft Parade. This is the best part of the trip. This is the trip. Ira, you're a genius. Thanks so much. I'll see you all next time.